Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Are the words hocus pocus in the Bible? Actually, yes. Well, sort of. Okay, stay tuned and I'll explain. This one is really interesting. When I was probably eight years old, my parents hired a magician to perform my birthday party. And I remember two things about this birthday performance. First, he did a trick in which he pulled out something that looked like a full glass pitcher of pink milk. And he told us that this was called silly juice, and it was guaranteed to make anyone and everyone laugh uncontrollably. Then he had the birthday boy, that's me, yours truly, come forward and sit in a chair in front of everyone at the party. First, he took an ice pick and he used a hammer and he drove the ice pick into the top of my head. And obviously, it's a magic trick. I felt nothing, of course. He proceeded then to take a funnel and place it where the ice pick had been. And then he began to pour the juice into the funnel, into my head, supposedly, until the pitcher was empty. And you know what? It worked. I laughed and I giggled uncontrollably, just as predicted. And then everyone in the room began to laugh just as hard. And all the while, as I was laughing, I was thinking to myself, this is amazing. The other thing I remember is that he used the words hocus pocus a lot. I'm pretty sure that if the same magician had been playing for a room of adults he never would have said the words at all. But eight-year-olds, well, they expect magic and hocus-pocus to go together, and he did not disappoint. After my party was over over the next couple of weeks, I went around saying the words hocus-pocus, knowing that I was pretending, but if I'm perfectly honest, also secretly hoping that there was something truly magical about these two mysterious words. Okay, enough of my trip down nostalgia lane. Let's talk about the origin of the modern usage of the words hocus pocus. And I'm not talking about the 1993 Disney movie entitled Hocus Pocus starring Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker, although it is, of course, related to the words in question. And I'm not talking about the white bunny named Hocus Pocus in the animated Christmas special, Frosty the Snowman. And I'm really digging deep for my pop culture references here. I really liked that show, Frosty the Snowman. I liked it in my childhood, and I'll admit, I even like it now. So, back to the question that we were working on. Where does Hocus Pocus come from? This short phrase is surprisingly old. We can go back as far as 1635 when a book on magic was written anonymously and entitled Hocus Pocus Jr., The Anatomy of a Ledgermain. 
Now, what's a ledger main, you ask? So a ledger main is a word used at this time for sleight of hand. There was also a well-known magician from this same era who was granted a license to ply his trade under the name Hocus Pocus. Now, after a bit of research, what seems clear to me is that at this point in history, the words Hocus Pocus were widely used and known and were often used to describe a person who performed sleight-of-hand tricks, juggling, or other types of entertainment, which we would associate with probably street performers today. The words were also used not just to describe people who perform magic, but popularly used by magicians to imply that some sort of magic was happening at this moment. So in other words... They were already in use in much the same way that we understand them today, almost 400 years ago. So where did the words hocus pocus come from? Well, as usual, there are a couple of theories. The first theory is not very interesting, and it was simply that the two words are gibberish with no apparent meaning. That someone at some point said these words and that they caught on and just had kind of a life of their own. And if this is the case, hocus pocus was probably not the original phrase, but got shortened and changed over time until we come to the words that we have today. And as I said, this one's not very interesting and therefore it's not worth any more of our hocus pocus focus. Yes, I feel a little bit of shame for that one. The second is that it was not unusual several hundred years ago for magicians to use Latin as a part of their show because it sounded ancient and mysterious, but that they really didn't need to use real Latin because no one in the audience likely spoke or read any Latin whatsoever. So it was not unusual for a magician to use what's known as dog Latin. And dog Latin is a form of real Latin that is intentionally corrupted for humorous effect. So according to this theory, there was a dog Latin phrase, hox, pox, mox, deus, adamox, that was used by magicians at the time, and that that phrase is the one that was eventually shortened to hocus pocus. Okay, let me do that again. Hox, pox, mox, deus, adamox became hocus pocus. Now, okay, it could be, but I'm not really hearing it. So in order to get to what I and many scholars consider the most likely answer to its origin, we must take a detour back to the 16th century Europe and look at church architecture. As I said in a previous podcast, we can, for all practical purposes, date the Protestant Reformation back to 1517, with Martin Luther's 95 Theses being nailed to the Wittenberg church door. Luther hoped to spark a reformation within the Catholic Church that, unfortunately for him, didn't come. There eventually would be a reformation within the Catholic Church, but at least It didn't come in the timetable that he was hoping. There was something that came along in the Catholic Church called the Counter-Reformation, 
or is also known as the Catholic Reformation. And this was a reformation within the Catholic Church, which began with the Council of Trent, which met in 1545. Actually, it met all the way from 1545 to 1563. That's 18 years for a council. And I'm pretty sure the participants got to go home, at least occasionally. Now, the Council of Trent had several objectives. The first was to publicly denounce many of the tenets upon which the Protestant churches had been founded. But it also instituted some liturgical, meaning worship changes, of its own within the Catholic Church. And some of these changes were seen in liturgy, and some were seen in changes of the architecture of the churches themselves. So prior to the Council of Trent and the Counter-Reformation, it was not unusual for churches of Europe to have a visual barrier between the area of a church where the lay people gathered, that's called the nave, and the area of the church where the altar was and the clergy celebrated the services, and this area is called the sanctuary. So prior to the Council of Trent, the church went through this period of time in which lay people were considered the common unwashed masses, and the holy mysteries of the sacraments were considered to be so sacred that they needed to be kept separate from the people. So a physical and visible barrier stood in the church between the two. This visual barrier between the people and the service was called the rood screen. Now, as you hear the word, it would be fair for you to assume that this word is R-U-D-E, as in impolite, but it's actually not that at all. It's spelled R-O-O-D. The word rood, in this case, means cross, and this screen was normally decorated with a crucifix, hence its name. Now, with the Council of Trent, rude screens were abolished. But before that time, if a layperson wandered into church during the time that the clergy were saying mass, in other words, saying the prayers over the bread and wine, the layperson would be able to hear but not see the people at the altar. But wait, there's more. No, not only could they not see, they were listening to a service that was being said in Latin, a language which none of the common people spoke or understood. So the common person stood on the other side of the rude screen, picking up bits and pieces of the service, which again, they didn't understand. They knew something powerful, mysterious, and holy was happening on the other side of that screen. They just couldn't see it or understand it. Now, one of the phrases that was uttered by the priest as a part of the blessing of the bread and the wine was the Latin phrase, hoc est corpus meum. Hoc est corpus meum. Which are the words Jesus says at the Last Supper as he gives the bread to his disciples? Now remember, this is the Latin translation of Jesus' words, since he, too, didn't speak Latin, but he spoke Aramaic. But still, these are the words he spoke in Latin, and they mean, this is my body. By now, you've probably put this together, but let me put the two side by side for you. The Latin from the communion service is hoc est corpus. The magic phrase we use today is hocus pocus. Hocus corpus, hocus pocus. The theory being 
and I was taught this in seminary, that the lay people took this mysterious phrase, which they didn't understand, and began to use it perhaps as a spooky incantation over things they didn't understand. So, hocus corpus became hocus pocus. Hocus corpus became hocus pocus, which not only makes total sense, but I can absolutely hear it. Now, this is not original with me. John Tillotson, an Anglican bishop, wrote in 1694 in, these are his words, in all probability, those common juggling words of hocus pocus are nothing else but a corruption of hoc est corpus by a way of ridiculous imitation of the priests of the church. So back to our question. Is hocus pocus found in the Bible? Well, no, I guess it isn't. But the phrase from which it was taken, hoc est corpus, meaning this is my body, well, that phrase is certainly found in Scripture, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Feel free to get in touch with me through email, and I invite you to follow me on Twitter. Just remember that both are SkyPilot with three Ts. That's S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. My email is skypilot at gmail.com, and my Twitter handle is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>